Welcome back to another episode of the Rag Report podcast with me, Sean Anderson. My, this is my daily bulletin show where I bring to you uh, stories from recruitment owners, advisors, suppliers, even investors around the world who are prepared to give up some of their time and expertise and share some uh, insight into their lives to, to, to help us all get through, firstly, COVID-19 together, but also just come together as an industry and be stronger. Uh, today, I'm excited to be joined by Philippa Smith. Philippa is the founder and managing director of Silver Swan Recruitment. She, uh, she's what, someone who's worked with me now for the last four or five weeks on the Hoxo Academy. I've got to know her pretty well. Um, and well, there's two major reasons I wanted to interview her today. One is it's the seventh year, seventh birthday of her agency. So she's celebrating seven years, which the seven year, hopefully it's not a seven year itch by, uh, by interview, being interviewed by me. Um, but also she, she recruits into probably one of the sexiest spaces I've ever heard of. She helps people find staff for like private yachts and private jets and this luxury lifestyle that we all aspire to be uh, closer to. She, she lives it. I'm not sure she's on a jet every day, but she, she recruits for them. Um, so uh, keen to find out all about Philippa's world and, and where she's heading. Before I do, let me just mention our, our first sponsor, which is Rise Recruitment Ventures, headed by John Coxon and Alex Elliott. These guys have built and sold a very successful recruitment company called Liquid Personnel in 2016 for over 20 million. These guys have now launched Rise Recruitment Ventures, which is an investment business looking to back and support both startups and early stage recruitment agencies that want to do the same. They want to scale and exit. Um, if you're interested to find out if these guys could both help you with both cash and expertise to grow the agency and sell it in the future, then get in touch at www.riserv.co.uk. Right, let's get into the show. Philippa, welcome to the RAG Report. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on on your seventh birthday. How do you feel today? How good is this? And it's my first day back in the office for about three months, so I thought I'd celebrate and uh, come into an empty office on my own, sit in the corner. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you. As soon as I looked, I was like, I've, I've seen your house on video for the last five weeks, and you've got this amazing garden that you show off every week. You don't need to talk about. But uh, today you're in the office, so so tell us, like, um, before we go into the detail, my first question every week on the show, every day on the show, is. For the, for the listeners, can you just give us a, like a paint a picture of your life right now? What's going on in, in your world? Um, well, it's not a normal world. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not hating it either, to be honest. Um, we had a very normal March, April and sense that we kept the together. We were working from home. Recruitment obviously stopped, but we used the time to uh, just do loads of other stuff. It was actually really useful a couple of months, just getting like just tidy up bits within the business. Um, and then May, uh, at the end of April, I decided to offer voluntary furlough. Uh, right. So four out of my team in London, there's seven of us in London, um, took it, just because they weren't busy, they knew it would help the company, just for the month of May. And then typically one month into May, we start to get really busy again. So I pulled somebody straight back off furlough. Um, my second person's now pulled back off furlough, so now just two left on furlough. Um, and yeah, things are sort of picking up a little bit now. So it's, it's feeling a bit more normal now than before. What's your, is- what's your personal life like? Tell us what, where you live and, and what your situation's like. Oh, yeah. so, um, so uh, offices here in London Bridge, uh, live down in a place called Coulston in Surrey. I've <laughs> actually randomly um, just bought a house and put my house on the market, which is a bit of a random time to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, live down in Surrey. Um, I actually don't mind working from home. I've got like a little office down in the garden. Um, 
been working out every day, which is good because I've been walking to the fridge every 10 minutes of every single day, which is doing my head in. Um, but yeah, like, like personal life in lockdowns uh, actually been okay. Um, looking forward to going and eating somewhere than my kitchen now. Yeah, well, at least um, at least you've got the opportunity of things like Uber Eats. I've I've because I've been doing that seventy five day challenge. I've not eaten a single thing that I've not like cooked, and yeah. uh, it feels it's great because you you genuinely know what you're eating. You can tell that like it's all good stuff if if yeah. you make it so. But I do miss like just just something naughty. Like just I'm just craving yeah. a little bit of naughtiness on the weekend. Yeah, 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 great. So let's go backwards. Right, seven years ago you yeah. launched the business. Tell us a story. Like why did you why did you why did you start a recruitment business? Well, so my sort of background, especially because it's quite a niche industry, people have to sort of wonder how they get into it. So I suppose it started, it really started this career of mine at university where I met Ben, who's now my husband, about 15 yeah. years ago. He said, do you want to go on a ski holiday? I said, I can't think of anything worse to do in my time, to be honest with you, no. And he said, right, well, I'm going to do a ski season after uni with or without you. So why don't, do you want to come on a ski holiday and see if you like it? Or see you later, I'll just do my thing. Oh, yeah, crap. I'll go on a ski holiday. Anyway, obviously, it's amazing. Did a ski season, and that was a door into the sort of chalet industry. And I started the company in the chalet industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a ski season, uh, went travel for a bit, um, and then came out to London and fell into recruitment like everybody. Walked into Office Angels looking for a temp job whilst I figured out what I want to do in my life. Yeah, yeah. And ended up getting a temporary resourcer role in the branch of uh, London Bridge, Office Angels. Right. So, Started my career with Office Angels, like proper traditional, uh, I think fairly old school processes, agency, yeah. you walk in your suit, you get your clipboard and do your little Word and Excel test and that kind of stuff. Um, but you know what? I absolutely loved, absolutely loved it. Like still to this day, one of my favourite jobs was stuffing timesheets on a Friday afternoon. Um, we used to do te- te- temp recruitment. Um, loved it there. wasn't looking for a job, but by its elder sister, Kerry, I'm one of six kids. Right. So, Tons of us. My eldest sister, Kerry, she runs, a, she owns a luxury ski operator. So if you want to spend a hundred grand on a ski holiday, you'd go with her. And so she, she operates some of the most luxurious chalets in, in the French Alps. And yeah, French Alps. Anyway, she was looking for a HR manager. I said, well, why don't I help you recruit one? Didn't cross my mind that I would do it. I was only 25 at the time and um, started helping her with the recruitment. And, uh, and then after a couple of weeks, she was like, why don't you just do it? And she actually made that call while I was sat at my desk at Office Angels. I was like, um, yeah, so I'll have to call you back about that one. Um, so left Office Angels, but was sad to do so because I loved it there. But I just couldn't turn down a position as a HR manager without a CIPD qualification yeah. at the age of 25. So I was a HR manager for two years, uh, which was basically recruiting and managing private domestic staff at luxury chalets. Um, and after two years... Loved the recruitment side of it. Didn't like the HR management side of it. I just wasn't very good at HR management. You need to sort of, you know, like people and um, <laughs> and be nice and like thoughtful and. It is uh, true. It is true. Uh, and uh, and patient and all the rest. So and also to be fair, um, I used to split my time between London and France, and it, the, the role was getting to the point where she could do with somebody in France all the time. So, but during that time, um, it was obvious that finding good staff to work in ski chalets was really difficult. Um, because people do a ski season to um, get pissed and party and ski, yeah. and, and you don't really do it to progress your career in most in most ski season uh, you know lifestyles. However, in the top end chalets, there was a real 
it's a real good career opportunity for people that want to go from restaurants and hotels into the private environment. It's very difficult to do that with that private experience. One of the best routes in is to do a ski season because you can get a job in a private chalet without needing private experience. Yeah. That gives you six months private uh, experience of which you can then go and do a villa and then, then you've got a year and then you're off, you know? So, when you say private, what, what does that even mean? Um, private means that your work, the owners own a chalet and they don't rent them out. Right. Okay. So private is, yeah. So if, so if you, some of my clients own chalets, but they just go there, you know, you know, every two weeks or. What are the staff, what are the staff doing when they're not there? Cleaning. Just cleaning. cleaning. It's more like being an in-house nanny or something or like maid or something for, for a private, yeah, it's a private resident. You know what? I recruit for private yachts that are in a port in Barcelona and they have over a hundred staff on it. And sometimes a family won't step foot on board for an entire year. And then hundred staff, and there's doctors on there, there's florists, there's hairdressers. So yeah, but but when the, when money's not really much of an issue, they just need everything. Up, the, you know, everything needs to be boss ready, so they can just the, the family could curl up tomorrow. There's never any notice with this stuff. Turn no. up tomorrow, and then it's be good to go. But yeah, with the, with the chalets, a bit different. So some of the private chalets are privately owned, and so the um, the, the family, lots of friends go and stuff go as well. So it's not just the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll use it. Um, and they tend to be the private chalets tend to be much better paid. Um, you're very well looked after. You get nice accommodation, but you need to be sort of at a certain level within the industry. Uh, a seasoner like me, when I was 21, like that's not the kind of job I did. Yeah, yeah. Know, my 60 quid a week job. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I was working in the private recruiting for these chalets, and um, uh, and yeah, I think I was in a bar in Valdez Air one night actually. Uh, sounds likely yeah. uh, and uh, I was with a friend and over the course of about an hour it was about three or four people had come in and were just stressing out about staff um short staff my chef just broke his leg my chauffeur's not turned up you know staff are fairly flaky out there and people injure themselves skiing so staffing's a real issue especially if it's Christmas Eve and your chef's broke his leg you know what do you do and it was my friend that said to me someone just needs to set up a recruitment agency and I was like ah so I've about 10 more Jaeger bombs. And then Are you still working for your sister at that point. I was still working for my sister, but, uh, but she, but we both sort of knew that the, the role really needs somebody to be based in France all year round. Yeah. Um, so actually if she hadn't have said, you know what, if she hadn't have said, you know what, so we'll just start a recruitment agency to service the luxury chalet industry. I don't know. I don't know if I've done it. I don't know. Just goes to show, doesn't it? I should probably, um, the one I love the line one night in, in a bar in Val d'Isere that's like that's how it all starts that's the start of the story yeah, I know and then literally I think it was the next morning I set up the company and then oh. um, worked the rest of the season and and then that was it so we initially started just doing luxury chalets yeah. so you you were based out there doing the job no, based from London, based from London. How, how, it sounds like a, I mean to me this is just it feels so different so what where do you even start like you you, you market to UK like decent hospitality staff and say we i can get you a job in val d'azair or yeah well there are them. specific job boards yeah seasonal job boards you know what the market is massive yeah like the market is absolutely massive the minute you sort of like dip your toe and i've got loads of competitors it's fairly saturated to be honest with recruitment um loads of candidates most of which are rubbish few are great so it's about finding the great ones but yeah it is a funny industry the ski industry was a good place to start because it's a really small industry and like, i had loads of friends from it and because staffing is such a big problem, all I had to do was, you know, um, email a load of ski companies, top, top five star ski companies, and just say, if you'd ever like support with your recruitment, 
give me a shout and all of them are like is it true what I've heard could you honestly help me find chefs is it true is it true because there wasn't many competitors at that point no one really was the chalet stuff so um having an agency when I was a HR manager I would have loved to have an agency that I could have called on Christmas day when I needed to find two more chefs you know but you know what um, one of my um, my old one of my candidates and my clients, she was a lady I placed in contracting in insurance in London. Hmm. She used to do her contract. I remember the first time I met her, her CV was really odd. So she would work in a London based, like high profile project manager role in a bank or an insurance company between May and December every year. Yeah. I'm like, what does she do between December and May? And then I found out she owned a chalet. So she used to bugger off in December and she'd get, get ready for Christmas and she'd work till about end of April, ski, finish yeah. it all off and then lock it up, come back and work in the city. Yeah. And I placed her for like four years in a row and her life was, uh, so she was probably the sort of client you'd work with, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know what? It's a great lifestyle from a, men- from a staff's point of view because so many people see hospitality as this job that you do when either you're, uh, young, uh, between jobs, if you're from a different country uh, and you're sort of trying to yeah. sort of get settled. People don't see it as a career here. You know, I, keep, I get asked to go talk in schools and I probably should start doing it um, to try and start educating, you know, the people that don't want to go down the academic route because hospitality, private hospitality is such a cool career. Like I've got butlers on 150 grand a year that are traveling the world in private jets and, yeah. you know, all the rest. And like, it doesn't mean that you're working in Nando's if you consider a career in hospitality, you could be doing some of the coolest stuff. You know, I've got 21 year olds on eight grand a month out in the Middle East, you know, that aren't paying any tax, just do it for a year, come back and buy a house, you know. It's, so it's, it's, it's an industry. God, that, I wish I'd have known you when I was that age. It's an industry that young people should consider, um, yeah. you know, or people should look down on sort of hospitality. And, and then also, you know, people that, people that are kind of, if you like, stuck in a bit of a rut where they've been working in hotel basement kitchens, uh, uh, and, uh, and restaurants, and you know what, high-end restaurants, Michelin-style restaurants, is hardcore for chefs, it's low money, it's crazy hours, mm. it's, it's unsociable hours, like it's not, it's not a, a, a particularly fun lifestyle, but you kind of have to like grind it out to get this experience, but th- these candidates need to just like have a little, well, come talk to me really, because to, they could go, I could get like a 22 year old chef that works in a basement kitchen at a one restaurant restaurant and they can go walk straight into a famous person's home and they're treated like royalty. They're like the star of the show. Like everybody loves these chefs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, well, so nice have, you, have you worked with any famous people you can mention that you've, you've recruited? Uh, not that I can mention now. Oh, I, no. I sign NDAs with most of my clients. Really? So you do, but you do work with quite a lot of people who are high profile. High profile people, yeah. Well, yeah, quite a lot. To be honest with you, when we first started the age, when I first started seven years ago, which is yeah, yeah. um, we used to do more celeb stuff. I actually avoid celeb stuff now because celebs are tight. Rich people in general are tight, to be honest. They're not actually the dream client like you think. Really? Um, they're tight. They're demanding. Um, just some of the celebs, they're also not they're not as wealthy as they think they are. So for example, celebs might go and charter a yacht for a week, but I've got clients that own seven yachts. Yeah. So it's a different level. So we started, we did some celebs, but I just didn't feel comfortable with a lot of the recruitment I was doing because candidates were, just weren't being treated very well. No. And yeah, it's all well and good to say you work for whoever, but like, um, what's the point of people, if candidates, candidates are the most important part of my business. So if then, I, I'm not bothered about working with clients where they're gonna have a horrible experience. What, what's, what is your ideal client and what does that look like? 
Well, the, the, our clients now are way above sort of celeb level in terms of wealth. They're called ultra high net worth, um, UWH, ultra high, UHWI, ultra high net worth individuals, what we call them. Um, we, we have a variety of different clients that we work with some clients that are so far out of reach that I deal with someone that's like so far removed from the actual principle, they're called principles. Um, where I might deal with a house manager, I might deal with a business manager, sometimes I deal with wealth management companies, concierge companies, um, uh, we sometimes deal with the wives, that's, that's the trickiest yeah. when you deal with the wives, they are the most, if you can please the wife, you're laughing. Um, so deal with PAs, um, but with, and they're the sort of like ultra, like ultra high-end client that we work with. And they're great because they have portfolio of properties. So they'll have we'll, we'll service a number of their properties. So they're good clients in that sense. But when you're so remote, removed from the client, I don't know. You sort of lose that bit that I love about my job, where you're that client sort of like relationship that you have. You just yeah. PA, especially if the PA sort of like disappears after every year and they have a new PA and they've got no loyalty to agencies. They just want the best deal. And so actually my favorite type of client is sort of a, a couple of rungs below that. And they're still sort of wealthy and they'll have a house in London, they'll have a country estate and they'll probably have a civilian IB there. And they're the ones that pick up the phone. They're lovely to talk to. Um, they're all, you know, self-made, you know, millionaires, billionaires, probably whatever. But they, but they do the recruitment themselves and they'll talk to us and we'll meet with them. And they've got the human thing there. Yeah. So that's a ideal client, really, above the celeb level because they're difficult to work for, but below the real high end where we're too far removed right. from, from, from. Well, the, it's a world that mo- most of us don't don't even see, touch. We don't I get know. close enough to. So, talk us through the journey then. How did the, how did how did the business evolve? You you started it the next the next day in in Valdez Air. Yeah, so I did LA. So sort of asked around. Well, started really sort of quickly and easily. Sort of respect to everyone I know and so we'd like any this was June obviously first week of June and normally June is when you start recruiting for the winter season because the, uh, the previous winter sort of ties up in May and you start straight in again with planning for the winter so um oh ring around you want to help with your recruitment you know send your CVs it's free to interview you know the user bang um, and so did, and, and I picked up vacancy straight away and the thing with chalets the thing with chalets that I'm trying to move away from is high volume but low margin because it's only seasonal placement they're only there for four months they're not on particularly high salaries but the volume's there, you know, you know that these companies are going to be recruiting 10 chefs every single winter. So it's there. Yeah. Um, so it got really busy, lots of vacancies straight away. Did the first winter season and it evolved pretty much from there because the owners of those chalets um, would say, oh, that went really well. We were really happy with the staff that we had over the course of the winter. We have a couple of villas. I don't suppose we, you can find us another Daniel and another Sarah and another whatever for our villa. Brilliant. Picked up quite a lot of villa vacancies um, just with the same clients. Um, and then it evolved with the same clients because the same clients would then say, oh, that was cool. I don't suppose you have it. Do you have any candidates on your books that want permanent work? Because our house in Mayfair, we need two new housekeepers. And then brilliant. And so you, then that's what we call private households, which is people's permanent residences. Yeah. Um, and then before you know it, it's, we've just bought a yacht or my mate's got a jet or, you know, so, yeah. so it, it organically grew from the clients that we managed to obtain fairly easily from the ski industry because we didn't have much competition and staffing such a big problem there. They have multiple homes. And if you, because we did a good job with them at the beginning, um, they just sort of kept us. And it's quite nice for a client having a one-stop shop because what the reason we're different to most uh, domestic agencies is most domestic agencies do either private households or their yacht agency or their jet agency. And they may see themselves as being very specialised and, you know, the best people to go to, which is great. But then it just means that the client needs to have 
four or five different relationships with four or five different agencies trying to explain the same thing to all of them because even though the properties and the yachts are all different the family like this one style of staff you know so if they have a chef in their villa they just like that kind of chef whether on their yacht or in their villa or at home they don't have a different type of chef for those different places they just like what they like a certain personality person so i think clients found it annoying to have an agency that got it right with the yachts and they love the agency yacht staff was great but they just couldn't get through to their london agency the type of candidate that would do well for them they just had different too much going on mm -hmm. what we offer is a one-stop shop so a client we just know them now and they're just like they just know that we know what they want regardless of what properties it, what property it's in so yeah so for them it's just a one-stop shop and because these rich people have lots of homes and lots of things and nothing affects them recessions don't affect them and yeah. you know, rich people always need staff um uh then that you know their um portfolio always grows uh they so how did your how did your business grow then so you, you're obviously you've got the the clients are coming in the, how did your headcount change as a result of the demand that you were quickly gathering um well i managed it a lot at the beginning because i am a control freak i don't like delegating and no one does it as good as i do <laughs> as all owners think and that's not true at all, but it's what you think at the time you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what you think at the time when you just think oh it's quicker to the south and then i always thought because a lot of it was seasonal recruitment you know i don't want to be recruiting permanent members of staff because what if next season was quiet or you know it's i didn't have much faith at the beginning i didn't know what was going to happen yeah you don't, so, you don't yeah and then i think myself, myself for i don't I can't, you know what, i can't even remember it was myself for probably a year well, less than a year my brother came and helped for a bit my sister came and helped for a bit um we and then i just gradually one by gradually one by one i took a member of staff and two members of staff you know when my business grew the most was when i fell pregnant who'd have thought so basically you had to step back yeah exactly i grew from uh, two consultants to 10 consultants in about six months wow i know it just goes to show how much of an idiot i was at the time like, why not do <laughs> but at the same time we also took on quite a big project at the middle east which tied in all that in with that but yeah i put off to all the women listening to this i put off having a baby for so long just because well hey, i could be bothered um they i just didn't think it would work i just thought my career would go on massive back burner to have this baby that i wasn't that bothered about at the time and blah 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 um i only got around to it because i was getting old and um my poor husband been waiting 15 years and, <laughs> um i eventually caved and and um, and actually, best thing ever happened. A, it's obviously A's having a baby. But B, I would if I hadn't fallen pregnant, it would still be me and two people grinding out this recruitment, thinking that I could manage it myself. And actually, it forced me to hand it over. And obviously, lo and behold, you know, better things been falling apart way better, and we could just take on more and more and more. So yeah, but that that was when it was grew. It was about three years ago. I'm interrupting this episode to bring to your attention our second sponsor. That's Odro. Odro is calling on the recruitment industry in, in absence of organized events to take part in what's called the Active Recruiter Challenge. The idea is that we'll all get together on the same day, Friday the 10th of July, to run either a 10K or a half marathon. Um, this is a combined effort from all recruiters to run from their homes and follow any route you want up and down the country. We're hoping that together we can raise money for a teenage cancer trust. Um, and in order to do so, we want all runners to contribute £25 in sponsorship. Fitness and charity 
what a combination. To get involved, sign up to the Active Recruiters Club on Strava, then join the 10K or the half marathon from there. Strava will then track our time so that we can use them and find out how we are competing with our friends and colleagues. There's also a runner's pack with numbers and wristbands which will be sent out from Odro once you get involved. Finally, see Odro's Active Recruiters blog for full details. Everything will be shared in a link to this podcast. I would, if I hadn't fallen pregnant, it would still be me and two people grinding out this recruitment, thinking that I could manage it myself. And actually, it forced me to hand it over. And obviously, lo and behold, you know, Better. things have been way better and we could take on more and more and more so yeah that, that, that was when it was great it was about three years ago i love that um i uh my 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 wife's just turned well she was 30 in january still got no interest in kids like when you talk yeah. to me you can tell she's not bothered and I, i'm not bothered either to the point where i'm i'm pushing but i'm, yeah. a, I'm nearly 34 yeah. my dad my dad was 30 when he had me and he, so he's what he's 60 yeah he's 60 he's 64 the month after i'm 34 um, yeah. And uh, I guess I always thought he was a good age. I wouldn't want him to be much older, personally. So yeah. I'm like, well, that's kind of in the back of my head. But, um, but you know what? With it, what it is is like people just some people just naturally aren't maternal. I'm just not that maternal. And at all. Maternal. You don't think you're bothered, but it is. You don't know. You've never had it, so you don't know. You don't know what you've got, and I, you shouldn't compare it to a dishwasher. But for me, I come a dishwasher. Until you've got a dishwasher, you don't know how you live with that dishwasher. <laughs> right, God. I can see the strap line of this episode now like having a child I don't know if we'll get more listeners or no listeners we say Philippa Smith and the strap line on how having a child was like having a dishwasher <laughs> yeah, you're fine and you're fine you don't realize like you don't realize how good one is until you have one I bet yeah it's because I really like my life I traveled everywhere I was away all the time we've got an office in Dubai now the way over there yeah um, I just thought that my life would, I would have to sacrifice a fair amount of my life to have this baby. And in reality, if you manage it well and you get good childcare, um, nothing is held back. Everything's exactly the same. There's just a layer of amazingness on top of it all. I That's bet, yeah. Well, I mentioned it on yesterday's, on the last couple of episodes. I'm, I'm one of them, me, because I'm doing daily. And because when something is in my head, it keeps coming out of me. Uh, and my, my wife can hear me through the room like you've got to shut up about this but I've been, I've been thinking a lot about my life as a result of lockdown and um first thing we've done is I've built my wife's business online so she's a personal trainer and um she was at fitness first in Romford in mm-hmm. Essex and now she's earning more money than she was in the gym by running a basically like the Hoxo Academy I'm doing with you, we're running a very similar thing for fitness for ladies in lockdown. So some women are looking to build muscle, some are losing weight, but you know, she's managing like 25 women on a weekly basis and giving them loads of tips in Facebook and it's going great. And she's like, wow, like I'm, she's twiddling her thumbs a bit. She's like obviously selling and, wi- and winning new clients, but this has changed the world for her. Yeah. And then even for me, I was like, you know, London has been it's kind of everything. It's the business. If your, your lights have gone off in the background, I can still see you. Don't worry. Um, that is that. If, if anyone's watching on YouTube now, Philip is waving like uh, she's in a studio. <laughs> this is brilliant. There you go. Lights are back on. I'm not editing that out either. This is state. Um, people love this shit. Um, but but I'm like you know the business going remote, her business going remote. I'm like what? So we're looking at potentially for maybe a few months moving to Turkey next year. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, being in 
where she's from, going living on the south coast of like Bodrum or Antalya, and then you could get a better flat. You yeah. could we could have a probably you know if we had a child there, living maid would wouldn't cost the same. Um, have a bigger space, swimming pool, still be podcasting daily, still be working with the team, fly to the UK once a month. I mean, but this isn't that would never have gone through my head until now. Um, it's crazy. I feel like this whole lockdown is like obviously would rather not have the coronavirus and obviously it's horrific and all the rest but you know it's really like changing the way people think people people think about their business and yeah. their lifestyle and their work-life balance mainly and um, you don't need to be at your desk grinding out 12 hours a day to get the same output so but that's what especially in recruitment you know that this is a sort of old school thing isn't it like office angels you'd have to be at your desk at eight to six like you have to do 100 sales calls it's all sort of all about the sort of input rather than actually the quality of your output and yeah so good for you that's a great idea well um yeah. no you uh, look thanks for that and, and we'll see i mean I'm, I'm looking into it it's one of them as well like, when will you even be able to go and fly and stuff like, who knows there's loads to work out but it's, it's i'm excited by it which is which yeah, is a nice thing um but in terms of you, uh, how did, so if we, you know, we, we, how did the lockdown all unfold for you personally? How, how did the situation I kick mean, it in France, because I was actually, <laughs> we decided to sneak a quick weekend for skiing, just as it was all kind of like kicking off. So like yeah. we, had a long, we had a long weekend booked anyway in Val. It was like 7th or 8th or something of March. So it was like, and then sort of the week before it was like, oh, you know, there wasn't lockdown wasn't happening, but I think Italy had locked down by this point. Um, and, you know, people calling me saying, oh, you might get stuck there. And I was joking, saying, oh, there's worse place to be stuck. I didn't want to be stuck there. But anyway, but we, were, I, in a way, I'm glad we went. So we got out there. We had one day out of three days skiing, which is, I'd rather have had two days. But we had one day skiing. And then it was overnight. It was on that night, Saturday night, that um, uh, France locked down and literally closed the resort there and then. And because I'm so, like, I've been so personally invested in the ski industry for about 10 years now, it was really nice to be there when it happened like with all my friends who all own companies there because mega like mega negative impact for them you know they're shutting the like all of a sudden the list, the list just weren't running like the hotels at 10 a.m that morning hotels had to keep all their guests out bearing in mind this was sunday morning the saturdays change every day so there were you know one company i know had five coach loads of holidaymakers arrive on saturday night 11 p.m and we're just back on a coach to the airport, 10 a.m. on Friday, on a Sunday morning with no flights or nothing or like just kicked out of resort. Wow. All these ski shops being closed and, you know, it was closed early March. So, you know, two months early, that's a third of their, a third of their business, a third of their revenue, like in the season. And bearing in mind, they don't make any money in the summer. No. So anyway, all unfolded when we were in France. So I saw, I saw how it was affecting the ski industry, like firsthand. Um, and then we managed to get back we managed to get back and then I had one day in the office. We got back, I came into the office the following day, mainly to get stuff. We weren't on lockdown yet, but mainly to get stuff. So look guys, let's all go home with our stuff. I don't know what's gonna happen. And then it luckily went home and that's when the sort of lockdown happened. So straight away, um, well, from a recruitment point of view, like our pipeline just fell off the board, obviously, because we, we placed people to go in people's homes. And that's the exact thing people can do. Like these people can't work remotely. Yeah. Our, our remotely so um all just completely stopped we're so fortunate that we do we have a big project in the middle east that's incredibly confidential we can't talk about it but um it's an ongoing it's ongoing ongoing recruitment that we do there and luckily um that didn't stop and so we earned from that luckily so that has kept that literally has kept us afloat so we've had that but that aside every single role stopped what um, about like next season's planning now is is that all still not, not started yet no no, nah, not for the skiing, not for the skiing, because no one, 
no one really know they don't know yet what kind of uh, ski season they're going to have mm. um i think there will be a ski season like can people queue for a ski lift like can people can you sit on a chairlift like with people next to you can you restaurant like i worry for the businesses because you know they have six five months to make their entire money for the whole year you know yeah yeah these restaurant uh, mountain restaurants and things um but to be, I hope the, we recruit for chalets and we recruit for private chalets and pri- people can still go and use their own private chalet and they're not going to go without staff. So I think we will still place staff in private chalets. Um, there will be flights happening. Some of my staff drive over anyway. But the ski industry, the recruitment for the ski industry would normally start now. I think it will start near a September time when, um, you know, things settle down and sort of people know what's, what's going on. The villas, I've just placed about three, I've just placed three couples to go work in Saint-Tropez last week. So the villa, the villa market, I think, is going to pick up this summer because you can't go on, you can't, I don't think you're going to be able to go and stay in a hotel on a summer holiday. No. You can book a private villa and, and especially if you can drive there. So we've got families in Monaco driving to Saint-Tropez and booking a villa for three months, you yeah. know, because they can. So I think we are, I think we will have some kind of summer season. And then the private households is, um, is, starting to pick up now the minute boris said um you know you're allowed a member of staff in your house again we the phone just started ringing really rich people can't go without staff for very long um it's, it's hard to comprehend it isn't it it really is like when you're not from that background um yeah. it's hard to i mean i thought school teachers were rich when i was a kid that was the kind of yeah, life exactly. um and it's different, it's different. Well, honestly some of the stories you do shall i tell you about some of the funny roles I've recruited? yes please let's do um, it some of the roles, so one of the roles I had right, right at the beginning of this was um, someone called me and wanted me to employ a, a dietitian for the, the family, a full-time dietitian. I thought, okay, that's, you know, that's cool. You've got a chef, dietitian in addition, you know, that's, that's quite cool. And yeah, he's, you know, he's going to be, he'll live with us or she, and they'll travel the world with us and, and plans. Okay, cool. And then, and then, then it was like, it's for our dog. I was like, what? They said, oh, it's for our, it's for our dog. So they have a full-time member of staff that live with them, that travel the world to plan the menu on each day for their dog. And then the chef has to cook it. Oh my god! <laughs> How ridiculous is that? <laughs> what was the salary range? Oh, that'd have been pretty good. The salary is always pretty good. It'd been over fifty grand, seventy, eighty, something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like yeah. that must be can't be a lot of work for someone to plan a meal, three meals a day for a dog. You know what? Though some of these families treat their dogs like their children, like it's yeah. you know, like I, I, we've got families that you know have dog that a companion that lives in the house just to be a companion to the dog because when they go to work all day, they don't want the dogs to be lonely, so they have a companion at home, like a carer, but for the dog. We had another one actually. This was about a couple of years ago, a year ago. Um, the, we had a, an estate down in Surrey who wanted, uh, and they've got low staff there, and you know, bowling alley in the house, and pools, and. Uh, bars, cigar rooms, wine and cheese rooms, this kind of stuff in this house. And then they wanted a, they got a hair salon, they wanted a hairdresser in the house. That kind of made sense, fine. But yeah, the principal, he, you know, he, he doesn't live in the UK. He's only here about 90 days of the year, fine. Don't really know what she's going to do for the rest of the year, but that's fine. Anyway, I thought that was it. She turns up for her trial. This man hasn't got any hair. He wears two <laughs> So this man, who's never in the country anyway, has a full-time hairdresser in his house, bearing in mind he wears wigs. Do they, cut, do they cut the wigs or not? Hey, just like maintains and tr- treats maybe or I don't know. I think, I think it doesn't matter how much you'd pay someone. Surely that's not what people get into hairdressing for either. Like that'd be quite a boring life. She bought out brains. Yeah, bought out the brains. Yeah, we've had um, zookeepers like uh, this is in Dubai. Dubai is the way you get mad from Dubai. But yeah, I wanted like a they've got like an indoor zoo. So I want like a zookeeper in the house. 
A message from our final sponsor, Vincere. Vincere, if you don't know, is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform for recruitment and staffing businesses globally. Now, I first heard about Vincere, it feels like a while, it was about a year or so ago. And this business came out of nowhere from speaking to recruitment agencies. And, and I've always asked them what CRM they use when, I, when dealing with them from a Hoxo perspective. The same players usually used to come up, but this word Vincere kept coming up. And I was like, okay, I've heard this two, three, four, five times. It must, it must, be, uh, must be an interesting brand. Um, and now I hear Vincere almost as much as any other brand out there. So I did my research and what I love about Vincere is they're looking to partner and invest in the same types of organizations that Hoxo do, which is the future high growth recruitment business, what I call progressive owners. Um, these guys are putting a product out there to level the playing field and help smaller businesses and those growing to edge over their competition. Um, it's, it's proven to be a disruptor in the space. Um, more and more people are using this, this software globally. They recently broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as the market leader on stellar reviews from users. So the, the, the recruiters that are using Vincere are raving about it. They've got five global offices headquartered in Vietnam. So they, if you've got uh, an office anywhere in the world, they've got this follow the sun methodology. So the support is absolutely top notch. Um, and also by sponsoring the RAG, they're giving a unique offer to our listeners. So if you're listening um, and you want to get involved, go to vincere.io v -I -N -C -E -R -E dot io forward slash rag, where they're going to be offering you a unique exclusive deal because you listen to the rag podcast. Get in touch today. Yeah, we've had um, zookeepers, like, uh, this is in Dubai. Dubai is the way we get mad from Dubai. But yeah, I wanted like a, they've got like an indoor zoo. So I want like a zookeeper in the house. Word in it. So, is the, so you're, how big is your Dubai office? Oh, tiny. We only opened up that up last October, I've got one member of staff out there. Right. So, yeah. well, I imagine there's a that is a prime market for that yeah. the end of the world. And right? a lot of business over in the UAE is sort of like it's all done with handshakes and no one signs any. There's no contracts out there and no one signs anything. And um, and uh, yeah, I think if you've got a, a presence out there, you know, you're more likely to, to you know get business. So um, it's also well, it's just it's nice. I've wanted to, that's when I grow the agency, I never really wanted to have an agency in London with 200 staff in it because the whole, you know, USP or, you know, our thing really is, it, we're just, it's a really small personable agency and like we know all of our clients, we know all of our candidates. It's so different to normal agency because it's such a private thing, you know, these clients are telling us their intimate things, they're telling us all about their laundry requirements and their wardrobes and their, how they, when they eat and what their routine their kids have. So, and, you know, it's stuff that it's just a, it's you know intimate stuff. You know, it's not B. It's not typically B to B, really. It's B to C, isn't it? It's like yeah. your clients are just people that are talking exactly. about their lives. They have to trust us. We are letting people, strangers into their homes. You know, yeah. have you got like really strict like regulatory sort of compliance checks and stuff you need well, to? Do? We keep way out of it. Way mm. out of it. We're just an instructory service, but yeah, some households are fairly relaxed and you know decent everything will do. But yeah, we've got especially in the Middle East, it's all you know. Sometimes it can take two months to do a police background check, mm. medical tests out there, and um, yeah, so quite quite thorough. Um, nothing's happened in the seven years, but I'm kind of thinking, I'm like, please don't rob anybody because you could easily, <laughs> easily could, do you know what I mean? So um, it's, you know what? It's, it sounds like you've had a great time anyway. You, you, you genuinely, you can tell you enjoy it. You can tell you're passionate about it still, which is key. What, what would you say you'd change if you could go back over the seven years? What would you change about 
the if you could change one thing about what I've done mm. oh what would I change well I, I I look back on some of the ways because as an experience when I started if you like I look back at like some of the um, you know when you have these like altercations with clients and like or issues with clients you look back sometimes I really cringe about how I manage some of them and, and even some like staffing situations that we've had like I've, I've got regrets with some in some scenarios the way I sort of manage things but it's funny with leadership isn't it? it all comes with experience and you have to sort of like go through sort of you know certain painful uh, scenarios to sort of look back and think um I would have got I would have got staffing sooner yeah um and delegated earlier um yeah I would have done that um I probably would have been tired of this in lockdown I've, I think like a lot of recruitment agencies you've had to become really lean so cut look at everything you're spending money on and really think about it and if I'd have done that about a year ago I'd have saved loads of money because like yeah we all we all did that and went <laughs> Christ do we really need half this shit like we all, yeah. we're all, we're all guilty half this stuff so like I would have taken, I wish I'd taken a bit more of an interest in the, fi- in the figure side of things. Um, but you know what? All the mistakes that I've made, you have to make them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You have to make them. I'm going to make you, more. What would you say to someone who's in lockdown, who's thinking of starting their agency now? I've, I've seen a few posts about it. I've seen a few, I've had a few messages about it, but there's, there's plenty of people that are either just starting or have just started or will be just starting. You know what? I don't think it's even nothing even to do with coronavirus. Like people, people say to me all the time, oh my God, it's amazing what you do. You're so brave. Go to agency. Like, I, couldn't, I couldn't do anything like that. Of course you could. Of course you could. If you've got something, any business, if you've got something to sell and you've got people to sell it to, you've got a business. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure out how to, how to do the actual selling. But yeah. if you've got an idea and you've got people who might be interested in it, go for it. So my advice to anybody who's interested, regardless of the, the lockdown or the you know, coronavirus, you, unless people are going to die if you fail, then you're not going to lose anything. You've got to get it go. It's not that big of a deal. You know, the worst case, worst case scenario, you try and do something on your own. Um, it's a bit embarrassing to work out. And you've probably lost a bit of money. And I don't know, people may lose, people may be a bit embarrassed or lose face a little bit, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. Because fortune favors the brave. It, and it's not that scary and it's not that hard. I think the most important thing that I've had is when you start your own business is just have a really good like support network around you. Like try and become part of these membership groups or, you know, try and uh, buddy up with someone else that's done something similar in your industry. Because if you've got this sort of like, uh, you know, I'm part of a recruitment network group, which is great. And if, you, if you're part of these groups with a load of other people that do what you do, if you don't know how to do something, just ask people. Mm. You know, you can figure it out. But if you've got something that you think you can sell and you've got someone that you can sell it to, and if you, then you should, you, if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Philippa, you are like just... Perfect. You're the perfect example of what I love about this industry. Why, like the, you know, entrepreneurial, falling into it, yeah, going for it, learning from mistakes, not beating yourself up over it, knowing, knowing, and realizing that that's what's made you who you are, right? And I would, I mean, my my journey's been slightly different, but the mistakes I've made have been hugely important. And yeah, yeah, there's, there's, it, I think. Uh, People are going to enjoy this and going to value, get a lot of value from it. So thank you for taking the time. I really, I've loved it. I've, I've, I've been smiling all the way through. Well, um, if people do want to reach out to you as a result of listening and fancy asking any questions or maybe they've got the money to, to hire some talent, you're, you're open to a chat with them, I guess, yeah? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, just my email address. Um, you can email me at philippa, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A. So philippa with one L two P's at silverswanrecruitment.com. Yeah. And if you visit the website, uh, com, and that just gives you an idea of sort of the industries that we're yeah. for, the kind of roles. And if people want to do a ski season and sack this whole recruitment thing in, then... Uh, <laughs> You'll help them as well. Do it, yeah. Well, look, guys, you've heard it here first. If you want to... Have a ski season and fuck recruitment off. Go for it. And also, having children is like having a dishwasher. Don't forget that. That's the number one thing I'll remember out of this. Um, but, Philippa, thank you so much. You've been a star. Uh, guys, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I hope you, uh, you're getting value every single day. Um, we're trying to have some fun with this as well. It can't be serious every day. Um, if you've enjoyed today's episode and you feel that someone else in your network would benefit from it, then please do share it. I don't ask you to pay me to listen. I ask you to share the show. Um, uh, I'll be back again tomorrow with more, more insights, more news, more stories. In the meantime, please do stay safe and I will see you all soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing force. That involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team, or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.